The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. Proud official kit suppliers to the Irish men and women's rugby teams. And you're very welcome to the RTE Rugby Podcast after the second round of the United Rugby Championship. A pretty decent weekend for the provinces. I think you'll all agree with victories for Leinster, Munster, Ulster and Connacht in reverse order. July to say we have Fiona Hayes, Donna Lennon and Wesley Liddy with us for the podcast and um, you're all welcome guys don't i guess we should start with the performance really of the weekend which was connacht on friday night against the bulls this bulls side who and um, we were expecting to promise a lot even in the course of the early stages of the season but it's two defeats from two games now to take nothing away from connacht who were excellent don't and score some brilliant tries yeah i must say it was a fantastic match game of the weekend as you said uh sat down friday evening uh not really sure what to expect because um Connacht, uh, you know, we saw patches of them in the opening game against Cardiff, but, uh, you know, they ended up losing that game. The Bulls, strongest of the four South African sides, newly crowned Curry Cup champions. Uh, they have been on the road a while, so therefore, uh, you know, they're battle-hardened. Uh, Connacht still finding their feet uh, after four or five minutes when the Bulls opened with a try. You felt, oh God, uh, is this going to be a long night for Connacht? Um, but, you know, it was a brilliant night in Galway. Weather was perfect. And uh, I thought Connacht were outstanding. Brilliant to watch. Uh, a great mix of, uh, you know, against the Bulls in particular. you got to be physical up front. They matched that. Their set piece was superb. Uh, but just the variety of their attacking game and their ability, uh, I thought their passing was outstanding throughout. And, uh, you know, when you look at the number of players that they have to come back into the side, uh, given the overall quality of their performance, I think they're in a really good place. They play a fantastic brand of rugby. You know, I think all of us here on this podcast certainly have been admirers of Andy Friend uh, since he's come into Galway, really. Um, he's, you know, he's had to work with one hand tied behind his back a lot of the time, but he's built a decent squad. He's been brilliant in terms of sourcing players from overseas who you know, aren't household names. But... Um, you know, he always seems to unearth a few gems and it looks as if uh, the sports ground of a new hero, Mac Hansen, what a try, what a way. Right wasn't bad, was it? The, the clan stand. I mean, if you're going to do it, if you're going to introduce yourself, I mean, he does it when, in the modern game and all the wingers seem to be six foot four and 17 stone. This fella looks slight. He has the white scrum cap on him. He almost looks like an amateur rugby player in many ways. So I thought yeah. it was brilliant to see the way he uh, turned a poor kick into an outstanding try. It would have been a travesty had it been disallowed. There was a suggestion of uh, interference. Uh, I was hoping and praying that it wouldn't be, but uh, I think it was uh, symptomatic of Connacht's night. They were brilliant overall, fantastic to watch, and let's hope they can build from this. Uh, I, Wes, I don't know whether Jake White was having a very easy week of it and he just wanted to give himself a, an extra challenge or whether he thought it was a good idea in his pre-match interview to say that, sure, look, Connacht are the discards of Irish rugby and, yeah, sure, look, they just lap up, really, whoever doesn't get contracts at Leinster Munster come down here for a bit of crack. Um, maybe <laughs> some of what he said is, is likely true, but certainly, as regards pre-match motivation, I thought it was uh, quite something for the head coach of the opposition team to say. <laughs> well, he said it's so close to kick-off, I don't even think it served a purpose pre-match motivation-wise. If he'd have said it oh, during the week, maybe, but, right. uh, <laughs> I don't know what he was thinking, really. Um, he was just talking rubbish. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was kind of a touch of sour grapes with him. Like, I don't know. I wouldn't be taking too much notice of it, but I suppose he'd be better served looking at his own team's performances. I wonder, I, but I wonder, Wes, did, did it set the tone for the Bulls in their match? And it, it, like, If that's what he was thinking 
just before kickoff. Was that the tone set for the week that Tasha, look, you know, we're the Bulls here, we're Curry Cup champions, we're coming down to this bit pot team here. And do they just not give Connacht the, the, the respect they deserve, perhaps? And that maybe set the tone. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that, but I mean, they did actually start well. Um, I suppose, like, like, first of all, with Connacht, I suppose it was the feel of the first kind of proper occasion this season mm. in terms of the atmosphere and the crowd. And they seemed to kind of, you know, it was obviously reminiscent of a lot of the big European days they've had and, you know, visiting touring teams and things like that. With regards to the Bulls, again, not to take from Connacht, but I mean, you're talking about the most successful team in Northern Hemisphere history or Southern Hemisphere history by the Crusaders. Um, you're talking they've had a huge cash injection by South African standards lately, the World Cup winning coach. Um, mm. It's shocking really how poor they've been. Um, there probably are reasons with how long they've been on the road, like what Donald said. And, you know, there's some Springboks missing, not that many. Um, but when you kind of contrast what you see South Africa do in a, in a classic game at the weekend and the fair we've been served up here, it's, um, I don't know, it's kind of... Um, Maybe we weren't quite um, given due recognition to just how uh, denuded of strength South African rugby has been to losing players internationally, that it's not just some of the top Springboks, but that it's layers two and three mm. uh, right across the board. And, and Birch made a good point in his article at the weekend that any financial gain from this venture, which there probably isn't a huge one from URC participation, but maybe ultimately... As Donald said last week, it paves the way for Six Nations inclusion or World League inclusion, as was mooted a while back. There's financial gain for South African Union then, but maybe right now the goal is to be in a strong enough position that, like the, the ship has sailed with regards to keeping a lot of top Springboks, but maybe it's that you're not losing that layer of 18, 19 year old promising schoolboys and you, and you build from there. You know, like, like guys like Keenan Knox, for example, we've seen in this country. Um, that that's a trend right across Europe, especially in France, that, you know, there's such depth in South African rugby at schoolboy level that they're, they're losing the next generation as well as this one. So it's a bit of a puzzle to be solved, I think, for, for the Bulls and for all the franchises, really. And, and, and I guess, look, to, to, to focus on Connacht as well, Fiona, and, and, and what they're doing at the moment, Donald mentioned there, like Donald said to me, we were doing the Munster game on Saturday night at, at one stage, Munster scored their fifth try and Donald said to me, uh, on the match, that's the fifth try, all scored by forwards. Oh, Connacht's tries were all scored by their backs, which I think is indicative of how they played again. Yeah, it was just it was an, a really exciting game to watch. I, I I watched it myself, and I think it's exactly what the lads said. I think you could you could feel the sense of the home game, the crowd cheering them on. Um, for me, when I watched it, I was I, I I had given him a bit stick last week, saying he was a bit quiet. But Tom Daly was an absolute workhorse for the whole game. I just thought he worked his socks off, and obviously he got his two tries, but he was just everywhere, and he seems to be he seems to be really coming into himself. You know, and it, he's he's probably he's probably um you know we don't talk about him enough. I don't think. And when I watched that game, I just thought what he did and how he organised everyone else around him at times as well was brilliant. And great to see Tiernan O'Halloran on the score sheet as well. I Donald, the five uh, try scored by back thing for me is interesting with Connacht. Just um, I guess to focus on it for a second because. That implies that if Jack Carty is on his game, and this is something we've spoken about before, if Jack Carty is on his game, Connacht will fire and they'll score tries and they have the ability to play because he's so, I guess, crucial to everything that they do. But if he's not, Connacht tend to suffer a, a, as a result. I don't want to oversimplify it, but certainly 
you could tell on Friday night that, you know, that Connacht were on their straps and the number 10 had a large part to do with that. Yeah, no doubt about that. And uh, look, it wasn't as if he was flawless. He had a ball that went out in the full. And, uh, yeah. But he, he, I think he's at a stage in his career where he knows how good he is himself. He's tasted international rugby. He's had some highs and some lows. I mean, he, he started that game against Japan in the World Cup. Uh, had a very good first half as it happened. But obviously, you know, the game, the, the way the game progressed, he seems to have been a big loser from that. Hadn't been involved um, in the, the games over the summer when Andy Farrell brought in a lot of the younger players, if you like. Uh, but, but you're right. And I think Kieran Marmion has, he has a battle in Connacht at Scrum Half with, with Caelan Blade. And uh, I thought Marmion and Carty were outstanding the other night. Um, it's just the variety of his play. He's not afraid to take the ball flat. He's not afraid to take the hits and feed other players into it. And then, uh, as Fiona mentioned, Tom Daly was outstanding. He was in that Ireland squad during the summer, but was one of the unfortunate younger guys who didn't actually get capped. But I've no doubt, and I saw Ross Maloney, an interview with him last weekend, as, as another one of those players when you, you come within touching distance, you see the standard that's set at international level mm. and you go away knowing what you have to do to uh, bring yourself to the next level. And I think Tom Daly has benefited hugely, even though he didn't get capped over the summer. I think he's benefited hugely from being in that environment, from working with the coaches, from knowing what the expect, expectation levels are. Uh, I think next in, Tom Farrell was a player that we had highlighted a, a season or two ago uh, another breakthrough season for him. But then uh, I think injury came at the wrong time. So we haven't seen a lot of him. He was outstanding as well. And again, I go back to the quality of his passing. But if Connacht are to succeed, they have to have that strength and depth that others have. But if you look, like Daly and Farrell have looked a really exciting combination. You've Bundy Aki, a test lion to come back in the next few weeks. Sammy Arnold is in that squad. Didn't get a whole lot of opportunity last year because of... Um, injury he was a quality player remember with both Ulster and Munster and uh, you have a Peter Robb who's another big strong guy so they do have that strength and depth in terms of their attacking style and you you know what we said about Munster and the ball the five forward scoring the difference for me is Munster when they get in that position they mm -hmm. stick to what they're doing the one out passes the latching the driving whereas Connacht have a bit more variety and I think we saw that in the first try that Tiernan O'Halloran got, that came off a ball that uh, Connacht were stressing the Bulls' line. And they, they almost sucked the Bulls in to trying to defend the way they would against a Munster or a Leinster. But they had options off the back of that ball. And that's all of a sudden, through brilliant hands and awareness, the space opened up, Tiernan O'Halloran scores under the post. Like that's not something that Munster look to do that often when they're in that position. No, so but don't Connacht, know, yeah, sorry to, to on that point, you, you know, like Connacht with the players, the centers that you mentioned, Tom Daly and Farrell, and obviously Jack Cardi pulling the strings, that, that actions of those three players, they look to pass the ball the whole time. What we saw from Munster, and I guess over the last couple of weeks in particular as well, and most of last season is that and I know you're taking Dialende and Chris Farrell out of the Munster setup now, but, but Rory Scannell and, and maybe Dan Goggin, who it was previously, and Keith Ers in the centre, they don't have that same ability to pass the ball as freely, Tom. Or they don't seem to. Yeah, anyway. yeah but look, I, I, it's, not, it's not part of their approach in the same way that it is for Connor. Connor took the play to the back three. I think Munster, you know, we've seen evidence that they're trying to do that. We saw it in the opening game against the Sharks, for example. But um, uh, I think Munster were shocked but what happened to them and, you know, where, where 
where we might be talking about Munster later on, but basically Munster were hit by a hammer blow in the opening 30, 35 minutes of that game. The, the Sharks all of a sudden, the first South African team that actually came to play and we saw glimpses of what they're capable of. So Munster really had to revert to type to address an issue that they faced at that particular moment. But um, kind of uh, as, as an overall style, they look to play high intensity. They look to play out of the tackle. And that is something I think that Andy Friend has been developing for some time now. Um, the, the, the problem for Connacht, I think, or one of the problems, is given the way they want to play, and you look at their record last year, they were far more successful away from home than they were in Galway. And maybe a lot of that has to do with the weather conditions in the winter in Galway. It's not conducive to, to playing that way. So uh, I think that has impacted on their home record. So they have to get the balance right in terms of uh, you know, sometimes you want to go out and move the ball and play out of the tackle. But if there's a gale force wind or it's lashing rain, then you have to adapt your game. So yeah. I think that's something they have to do. It is. But, and Wes, you can make the argument that they're, they are, when they play like that and it works, they are the best province to watch just aesthetically from what you're seeing on the pitch. Andy Friend has a mindset about how he wants to play. And I really admire that. And, you know, and, and half of me kind of looks sometimes at watching the other provinces and, and, and I kind of scratch my head and go, look, is this really what we want to be watching or going to be playing here now? Look, I know Connacht, obviously, but results-wise, would speak for itself. But I, I admire Andy Friend's approach, I have to say. Uh, I think, like Donald said about the recruitment, like he's gone and got Papali, who had kind of... I suppose threatened to be a very important player. Maybe his discipline and a couple of other issues let him down at times last season. But he's got Fafita now. They signed the Samoan loosehead yesterday. Mm. You put that together with guys like Alton Delan, Heffernan. Um, it's not necessarily that it's a massive pack, but they're all quite explosive guys, and they're all guys capable of generating a bit of pace and a bit of momentum in attack. And and they look to generate that pace in in different ways rather than through one-out runners like, like say, some of the other provinces have been doing. And I suppose there's just a bit more innovation to how they're looking to set themselves up to allow themselves to go wide. And they're always changing the point of attack. And, yeah, it's very entertaining when it works. And um, I suppose he's, I don't want to be disparaging, but they're, they're, they're attempting to kind of uh, overcome their limitations in an innovative way yeah. rather than playing to type. All the time, yeah. um, which is is interesting to see and is is a good endeavor from from any coach. It is interesting, and it's all you know. Some would say that I guess it's it's by design, by necessity rather than design, Fiona, because you know typically Connacht haven't had the big pack to compete against the Toulouse's or even Monsters when they come up against it as well. So Andy Friend has had to be innovative about how he approaches the game. Uh, but so be it. I mean, the result is what you're seeing now, uh, and you'd, I'd love to see Connacht be successful with it because I think then it might offer a different approach maybe for, for, for the rest of the provinces at times. Yeah, definitely. And as you said, when when it, when the ball sticks and they're playing that type of rugby, it's it's so exciting to watch and it's it, it's brilliant. But it, it, it's it's trying to revert to that plan B, like Donald said, when it's not working, when it's re- when it's wet, when it's windy, it's it's do they have the big forwards to, to hold on to that ball? And you could definitely see he's trying to bring in the type of players that he's able to change his game plan around at times when it's not working. And I I I, I can see him trying to do that. You could you you saw at times in the 
the first game that maybe they were the, the forwards when they were playing last weekend were holding on to the ball a little bit much. This week we saw a different game plan altogether. We saw absolute skills going wide, innovative. He just I and it's all based on, I suppose, what Jack Carty sees in front of him and what and he seems to be pulling the strings as well on that. And for me, for me, once they start getting these players in, these big ball players, Papa Lee, as we spoke, this this new Samoan guy that's coming over, like we don't know much about him. I know he played in um he played a little bit in New Zealand as well. But these are the type of players you want to see in there. And it's it's kind of expanding that game and being able to chop and change at times when needed. Yeah, what did you think of Munster on, on Saturday night, Fiona? Um, obviously, <laughs> don't know why we're there. Um, the first half was was, yeah. was surprising, really. It was almost eerily silent in Thomond Park because the crowd were saying, well, what's, what's going on here? The Stormers playing all the rugby. Jack, I don't know who's tried to kind of drag Munster back into it at the end of the yeah. first half. And then it was just a different side that came out after half time. It was like an absolutely completely different type. Both sides were different when they came out. I yeah. thought, I thought to be honest with you, the Stormers line speed, Munster didn't know what to do with it in the first 30 minutes. They couldn't come to terms with it. Even the speed of the play when they were getting the ball wide. I think maybe the two centres were lost at times. Um, and I, I, I know Keith Erds was in at 13 and he hasn't played there in a while, but you could really see that they weren't able to come up and cut out that ball. And Munster, once, once the Stormers got in behind them, they didn't seem to know what to do with it. And I suppose for me, a defining moment of the match was when Peter Romani stopped, had that try saving tackling. I think if that score had gone in, it who knows what would have happened after that. The Stormers might have got a bit more momentum again, but definitely it was a game of two halves. I was pretty impressed with the second half. And, you know, you have to you have to put your hands up as a team. You know, it mightn't have gone well, but for whatever was said in the dressing room, they definitely came out and had a bit more bite in them. And exactly that, the pack were absolutely outstanding. I thought the back row were brilliant in the second half. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that monster pack, Donald. I mean, when you think you have Ty Byrne to come back into it as well, I mean, like that's certainly the back five now. If you if you throw Ty Byrne into the mix along with Snyman, who's who might start, you could put Byrne maybe at six. Peter Man, like it's it's a serious monster pack. I guess the only question is, and this is the main takeaway from the weekend, is can monster develop more variety to their game if the tried and trusted with the pack comes up against a pack that won't allow them that dominance? Do they have the option to go elsewhere if needed? Yeah, well, look, I think that's what they're trying. That that has been the work in progress that Stephen Larkham has come in, and uh, you know, as I said in the uh, in their opening game against um, against the Sharks, I think there was evidence of that. Uh, now you look at at the quality of Damien Dialande. I'm not sure whether we saw the best of him when he came in. Bear in mind, uh, a lot of the rugby that he played was played uh, behind closed doors in a lockdown and. You know, a Damien Delande type player. I mean, they come. Why do they come to Munster in the first place? They see, you know, the the whole myth around Thoman Park, the big days in Europe, those massive Heineken Cup days, but they haven't had them. Just like R.J. Snyman saying, you know, he waited a year to come on to make his debut in this cauldron. There was only ten thousand people there, but the the response that he has got, big players rise to big occasions, like. Yeah, and you know, I think Peter Romani said it. Look, all the lip service they gave during the lockdown, uh, you know, that they just got on and they're focused on their game. But you know, he admitted it is it was different playing for Ireland, playing for Munster or Leinster in front of empty stadium. It's just not the same. Um, and when you see what the Alande did for South Africa last weekend, I mean, I think there is a quality there that Munster haven't sort of worked out how best to use as yet. Now, Joey Carberry is an integral part of that equation. Uh, I think, again, he started two games uh, in the championship so far. 
I think it's fair to say he's still finding his feet. Like he's not at the level that he was prior to his injury. But he is the key element for me. Munster need to get him up to that level because um, his performance as a 10 is going to dictate what happens outside. You mentioned Jack Carty. It's the same. You look at what Sexton does for Leinster. Um, that, that is the key position for me. But uh, the, the quality they now have up front and the, the variety, I mean, they now have options. Will they play Tyburn at six? Because uh, you could have Klein and Snaman in the second row. Um, like Thomas O'Hearn and Witcherly are the young guys trying to break in there. Uh, you could play Byrne in the second row and have a really good mobile. Alex Kandelan, a player that we watched in the under-20, captain yeah. of the Ireland 20s, is an outstanding player. I mean, he is the seven, I think. Even though they play him at eight, uh, I can't understand why he hasn't been moved to seven. That's where I see his future. He's brilliant over the ball. He's a brilliant... I see Michael Hooper when I see Alex Kandelan. I think yeah. he's that type of a player. He's intelligent. Um, and if I was Munster, I'd be fast-tacking him in that seven jersey. Um, so I mean the John Hotnet back now as well from injury. Yeah, he exactly. was outstanding until he got injured, and you've also got Jason Jenkins to come in. Yeah, so I mean, like he's a guy we haven't even seen yet. He's another monster. So there's no question. I think look, they've addressed the areas that they've been deficient in. I think getting that balance in the back row. I mean, let them all shoot it out. Ty Byrne, Gavin Coombs, Peter O'Mahony, uh, Jack O'Donoghue, throw them all into the mix, and it's the best man wins. But they now have um, options available that can tweak the way they want to play. Uh, I do think, to be fair to Larkham, that he is making progress in that overall wide game. It's a question now, like where is Zebo best positioned? Where is Earl's best positioned? Uh, Mike Haley, you know, he had a very good season last year. So it's getting that mix right for me. Um, and, and, and that's the challenge. The biggest worry I have now is that his name, and he's going to start soon. I've no doubt he'll be outstanding. And South Africa are coming up in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, so I think he could be gone for another month or two <laughs> yeah. months. So who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but let's go back to Donald's, um, I guess, point there, Wes, that 10 is still the key uh, position. It's the key position across all the provinces. Jack Carty, we saw what he can do, um, even despite a couple of mistakes. Uh, Joey Carberry still looks a long way short of his best form and his confidence just doesn't seem to be there uh, at the moment. And then I watched Ross Byrne on Sunday afternoon for Leinster and he was shockingly bad. Um, you know, just when Leinster needed somebody to take control of the game, but they did, Leinster were poor in and of themselves, but Ross Byrne, I thought, was, was just really below par. And it just underlines really that Johnny Sexton is still the best hour half in the country by a street. <laughs> You really changed your tune on that one. Anyway, <laughs> I know. Well, um, I see. I'd like, I'd like, I like. I guess. Look, I, I'm looking at you know. Harry Burns played very little rugby. Um, I'm a huge fan of Jack Crowley. We haven't seen him at all. It's been Ben Healy coming off the bench. Um, I, I'm waiting for some young guy to grab it by the scruff of the neck, but nobody is so far. So yeah, Sexton is still the number one man. I think that's like that's been something that's jumped out at me the last two weeks. Though was, you know, as much as there was a lot of hype and marketing and excitement around the first couple of weeks like I, I don't know how much has actually changed for any of certainly for any of the Irish teams I don't know if there's been any you know transformation really Um I think with, Mo with Munster like we've been going on about this evolution of their attacking game for like you know li literally since Razzy Rasmus was there yeah Um I, I don't know what evidence we have to base like this idea that they're suddenly going to change the way they play on with a South African coach and 50 South African players in the squad. Um, so 
like they're not going to wake up and start playing like Toulouse or Connacht one of these days. It's, it's no. not going to happen. So any change will be by increment. Um, and obviously there's a huge hype about Snaman, and he's obviously a phenomenal player, but like he was a sub for South Africa when they won the World Cup. Now, maybe by design because his impact was so big. A lot of the clips people were watching online that were getting him excited before he made his debut for Munster, he was playing in Japan. Like, all Snaman does is give you the ability to go toe-to-toe with a Will Skelton when you play La Rochelle, a Maro Toja when you play a Saracens. This idea that, like, he's obviously a charismatic guy and, you know, he could have some Rocky Elson type effect, but... I, I don't know. I don't know what people are, like. What's he going to have to do for people well, well, to like well, deal well, like, with success? Walk on water, is it? Well, well, okay. Well, well. The counter to that is that you know he's he's a phenomenally uh, strong, powerful, skillful second row forward. The likes of which that Munster actually haven't had for the last five or six years. I mean, Billy Holland had an incredible uh, career, longevity-wise, for Munster. But Billy Holland was was starting big games. Um, not so recently, um, and you look at Sean Klein, who you know again was this monster second row, who, who was absolutely you know I, I, I still don't I know. I suppose the point to I'm making is you don't bring Snaman and, and Jenkins into the team, two six foot seven, six foot nine South African back yeah. five forwards. That to me isn't a clear signal that the way Munster think they'll win trophies is that they're going to change the way they play. What do you think, Donald, as a second row forward? <laughs> well, I think look what we've seen. If you want to win in Europe then you've got to be able to go toe-to-toe with the big packs in Europe. I mean, that's reality. You saw what Lara Rochelle did to Leinster in the semi-final. Uh, you see the size of the Toulouse pack that has been dominating in Europe. Uh, and Munster wasn't that far away against Toulouse, remember. Uh, I disagree with you in terms of, of Snaman. Snaman, for me, uh, I thought was at the World Cup. He was, in a better, he was playing better rugby and was ahead of Lou Diaga. Now, Lou Diagar has just had a brilliant championship for South Africa. But uh, I think Snayman fell into the trap. I mean, don't tell me that um, that Marx isn't a better hooker than Bombay and Bonambi. But he yeah. was starting on the bench. Um, Kitsoff was ahead of where the beast was at that stage of his career. That's just the way South Africa structured their team. And it was ultimately, it was hugely successful for them. I mean, outside of the size and the grunt and the ball-winning ability that Snayman brings, he does have this, like, he can complement. He is that second playmaker as a forward. He has unbelievable hands. Um, and I know from speaking to, to Munster players who, who trained with him for the last 12 months, they're almost, like, the things he can do in training are, are, are phenomenal. But, look, he's not going to turn the thing around the, uh, on his own. He's, no. part, he's part of, I think, of an evolving group who almost by definition, I mean, Craig Casey said it after the first, he was man of the match at the opening game, all of a sudden, youthful exuberance and excitement. We have to win a trophy. And it was almost, <laughs> you could see, the shepherd's hook pulling him in from the PR office straight away. By the time by the time he got back into the dressing room, it was, well, I didn't really mean to say that. So, I mean, that is the pressure that is there. Um so look, it's yeah. it's 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 all it's like the old holy grey long ago when they were striving to win that first Heineken Cup. It took forever, but the journey was as mo- almost as good as the end result. So look, it's the same. And I mean, when you're talking about um, you know ev- evolutions and that, I think we 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 have to speak about Ulster. I think Dan McFarland has been building Ulster slowly. Uh, you know, I know it was it was it was um, Zebra that were playing against over the weekend, but. They have a cohort of young players like Ethan McElroy, Nathan Doak, 
uh, Dave McCann. There's three young fellas that we have been watching at under 20 level for the last two years. Mm. They look really comfortable at this level. Um, so I, I, I think, and you, maybe the missing ingredient, like, will the luckiest part of the season for any Irish province be that Leone Nakarawa failed his fitness test for Ulster? And they've ended up with Dwayne Vermeulen from left field. I mean, the guy was phenomenal against South Africa, against New Zealand on Saturday. Yeah. Almost, I was I, I'm not sure the, the, the new Ulster forwards coach was, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but you could almost see the excitement in his voice. He was quoted as he can't wait for Vermeulen to come into the Ulster setup to see what he can add to the coaches even. Because he is like, he's at a stage of his career where he's almost like an additional coach. So um, I have to say, I'm really excited about the Irish provinces this year. Uh, and I do think overall, and we're talking at an early stage of the season, but there's been glimpses as well from the Welsh teams that they're a little bit more competitive. Um, so I, I think we've got a very good league on our hands. Uh, and also we, uh, Benetton, Benetton two from two. Ulster against Benetton Friday night is the game of the weekend for me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, Fiona, I recorded the... The Leinster game there on Sunday, and anytime I'm going to have trouble sleeping, I'm just going to knock it on. I'll be off in about five minutes. It was absolutely <laughs> putrid stuff. Putrid. Yeah, I know. I think I, I was watching it as well. I think I, I nearly fell asleep at one stage. It's probably, you know what? We were talking about how exciting they were last week as well, and then to just come out this week, it's it's mad in in the space of week how things can change. And the thing that kind of I was just waiting for them to take, I was waiting for someone to take control. You know, they had a, they had a good few senior players on there, you know, um, and it just, it just didn't happen at all. I mean, I, I, Ryan Baird came on, normally has this massive impact off the bench. I think he had three knock-ons in the last, in the last 15 minutes. It was just uncharacteristic errors. I mean, even, I suppose, we, the one positive was Josh van der Fleer again. I suppose seeing him getting more game time, man of the match again. But even seeing Le- that... Levy as well, Fiona, to yes. be fair. Yeah. Levy came on and and that's good it's good to see him getting on getting game time I mean they're they're slowly building up fitness and we were talking about that Munster back row as well but that that Leinster back row Will Connors coming back into that as well there there there's going to be some serious serious competition up at Irish camp I think for back row spaces I mean it seems to me like a lot of the guys are really really performing at that high standard and we want your area of expertise I asked Fiona Coughlin on this during the match as well but the most exciting thing for me in the whole game was Keane Healy coming on and, and what he did in the first scrum there to go from loose head to tight head, you know, after a hundred odd caps um, and and uh, you know over a twelve year career, Fiona is is quite something. And to go from the easier position to the harder position, you know, outside of the scrum, I asked Fiona she never tried. It. She said she tried it once, she'd never do it again. Um, I don't wonder what, what what's your thoughts on Keane's uh, newfound career here. Yeah, I mean, I, Kean always had the size. I mean, you know, for me, if someone, like, in, in basic terms, if someone asked me the difference between a loose and a tight head, I'd say, as a loose head, I generally get to attack. As a tight head, you're being attacked. Yeah. And, you know, and I suppose, for me, I, I tried it a few times as well, but uh, I paid Spain and they threw me in there at one stage and I was absolutely back at the rate of knots because it's just, <laughs> it's totally different. I mean, mm. it's it, everything about it is different. Your chest, you're going off the other side. Everything about it is, is different. And for him, to just it shows what a phenomenal athlete he is to just be able to switch over like that I mean we know that Porter has played at um, swapped over at uh, 20s had played and went back and went back again so he's had a good bit of experience but for Keane Healy it seems and even the the forwards coach in Leinster just talking about it saying it was it was him who put his hand up he said can I go over I want to have a go there he saw the competition and he wanted to be that dual player and at that age I think that's absolutely brilliant 
Yeah, no, it is. Um, Donald, just before we wrap it up, speaking of Leinster coaches, Dennis Leamy to Leinster. I didn't see that one coming. Uh, I said to Wes last night on the phone, geez, you think Munster would have found a spot for him somewhere? But obviously, that's that's the job he's been offered. Um, how do you think he'll do? Oh, listen, I, I have huge time for Dennis Leamy. I mean, we've been tracking his, just even on, on, on a club scene down here, we were trying to attract Dennis into Carcon about three years ago. He was uh, doing a great job with his own club. Uh, he's been on the radar for some time, but he's been busy. He had a, a farm that he was running as well. Uh, but I think he's concentrating more on the rugby side of it now. I mean, Leinster, well, they brought him into the development area first. Uh, then he was involved as part of that Ireland under-20 uh, management setup. Uh, a lot of positive um, reports in terms of the input and the impact that he has had. I mean, Leamy was a phenomenal player. Mm. Uh, I always remember uh, I, I met Graham Henry in the New Zealand management for, for dinner the night before Ireland played New Zealand uh, maybe 10 years ago in Dublin. And the only player they spoke about before the match was Leamy. Like he was the one player that they were worried about the following day. Like they really saw him. Like New Zealand pride themselves in the quality of their back rows. He was yeah. the one guy that they would see getting into their back row. Right. Uh, he's a very understated guy, but he's a, a, a very sharp individual. Uh, I think Leinster, again, they kind of sucked him into their system first, had a look at him by um, sort of feeding him into their underage teams, working with their academy lads. They got very positive reports back through the under-20 setup, I think he's a brilliant, like Hugh Hogan had been, uh, did a great job there. That whole contact area, the breakdown is such an, inter when I see teams, the amount of work they put into their set piece, their scrum, their line out, their mall, and we don't seem to put in the same amount of work in that breakdown area, the specialist mm. area. It was something that uh, uh, Joe Schmidt concentrated massively on. You couldn't play on the wing for Ireland, if you didn't know how to present the ball properly in the breakdown. And it's that attention to detail and given, you know, just how competitive the breakdown area is, I think a breakdown coach uh, is, is hugely influential. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the area, the contact area, I think, is the area that Dennis is going into. Listen, I've no doubt he'll be an outstanding success. Um, He's, you know, a monster. He hasn't been involved with monster, I don't think, at any stage. So, I mean, you take your opportunities when they arise. And I think for him to get the opportunity to work with somebody like Stuart Lancaster, Robin McBride, uh, Leo himself, uh, I think it's a, it's a brilliant learning and a great next step for Vimy uh, because he has a lot to offer. Absolutely, yeah, and it'd be interesting to see the impact that he makes. Domestically, the cookies are flying at Wes, and he must be delighted. Cork Con got their asses handed him by Lansdowne at the weekend. Sure, life is wonderful in Limerick, isn't it? Yeah, I think that five five out of six for the Limerick clubs, I think, the weekend. I think yeah. Shannon were beaten last minute. Um, by Wes. Yeah, it's, it's great that the highlights of all the games are going up online now. Yeah. Um, and there was a bit of, like, kind of marketing, a bit of hoopla around the return of it. I mean... In fairness, they had 18 months to come up with that strategy, so it's the least you'd expect. But brilliant to be back recreationally for people. Um, and like I think there's a Donald touched on it last week. Like there's no there's no URC games during the international windows, so that natural chance for rotation is gone there. There's no secondary competition in terms of an A competition at the minute. Like there's a huge chance for the the integration of professional players back into clubs in some capacity this season. I know it happened in fits and starts last week, but I'd love to see it happen in a coherent way where 
like if you're number 35 in your provincial squad and you know the chance of you playing in the next two or three match days is fairly slim, but you know there's a full AIL programme during November, let the guys go back and train with the club as well in some capacity. I know they can't do it full time, but make them an actual part of that team and that squad rather than just guys dipping in and out, uh, you know, sporadically and, and flag that to the public that this is where you are going to see those players and there is a huge relevance to this competition. Let's really build on it. Yeah, absolutely. B- big yeah, to be yeah. fair, to be fair, just on that point, you there were uh, there were a lot of uh, academy stroke um, development players, if you want to call them, released back into Clubland last week and it did add a bit of quality. Uh, yes, we were beaten in the last second by Lansdowne. At by one of your Michael, own as well. Michael Kiernan's <laughs> Your own fella, yeah. Jesus, I couldn't believe it. I had a, a quick chat with Peter about five minutes before the match. I, I had to leave, actually, about four minutes to go because I was going to Limerick for the Munster match and I could hear the, the cheer uh, as I was pulling out. Uh, Peter O'Malley's dad, John, was in the car with me and the two of us looked at each other and said, oh, shit. And then when I heard, then when I heard it was a Kiernan, that was even worse. Oh. Uh, but I tell you, it was uh, no, it was a brilliant pre-match lunch back in Lansdowne. A lot of faces we hadn't seen for such a long time. Clubland needs this. I mean, even Lansdowne, to be fair, they they had a minute silence for um, Paul Ingalls, one of their former players who had passed away, a former president. But you know, we're all seeing it in Clubland. The amount of club stalwarts over the last eighteen months who passed away, and you know, it was it was actually very poignant being back in Clubland. Uh, as you mentioned, we have the, the cookies coming to Cork on Saturday. No doubt they'll, they, they'll travel in strength. They, they've had a great start to the season. But our, our lunch is sold out. And that's what clubs are about. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, there is that community element there. Uh, and look, it's great. You know my feeling with the All-Ireland League. The more these guys can be filtered back into it, uh, and it looks as if, I mean, the, the Celtic Cup or A games, there isn't going to be as many this year. So for once, the provinces are a little bit more reliant on the clubs. And they're actually now coming to us to say, well, look, can we, can we fill them in here? Which yeah, is to great. To be fair, Donald, it, it's great that the Cork public can rally behind rugby down there with the, the, the huge disappointments they've had in other sports over the last few months. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Oh, the hurdles are busted flush. Like, yeah. they may as well forget about that. They're, they're a resilient yeah. bunch in Cork. I wouldn't be worried about their self confidence anyway. Fiona, <laughs> Fiona, I have not, no joy for you two in a row, Ballon Colleague. You lost to Cook at the weekend. But just thank your lucky stars. You weren't coaching Wicklow, who lost 142 nil to Railway. And uh, I think all the players have just decided that's enough for rugby. They're going to play something else now. And I wouldn't blame them. <laughs> I know, I know, and it's terrible. I think uh, I wasn't at the match. I think someone said that uh, that some of the they were railway were taking drop go- goals to speed up the play as well, so they could oh. get a few more in them. So yeah, no, it wasn't it wasn't great result for Wicklow. Um, I'm sure you'd be at home in your bed for a while after that one. But um, look, yeah. that's the nature. There's a, there's a big disparity between the top four, and I think and I think maybe it kind of the rest maybe so I'm hoping like you know over the next few years with my own team I can build them up a little bit as well but uh, yeah definitely yeah. big gap there 142 yeah. nil go oh, you're, you're obviously on the long term contract with <laughs> Colleague, the, the big bucks Donald the big exactly. bucks exactly <laughs> a two year plan 
I think Wicklow have blown the food budget on getting 12 psychologists down to deal with the 142 loss there to Railway of the weekend. So listen, girls, just keep at it and hopefully it manages to turn. Well, thanks to Donald, to Fiona and to Wes. We have more rugby action this weekend live on RT with Leinster against Zebra and Munster against the Scarlets on Sunday. So back-to-back games. I hope you can tune in for that. We'll talk to you next week. The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury, proud official kit suppliers to the Irish men and women's rugby teams.